Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Hope you had an excellent weekend and your week is off to a good start. Last week was odd, wasn't it? Last week was one of the weirder weeks that I have experienced in a while, at least sports-wise. Back in March when everything shut down, I think it was March 11th, that Wednesday night that the NBA shut down and all other sports kind of followed suit. That kind of felt like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? Like sports all shutting down. That was a a once-in-a-lifetime event. The sporting world standing still. And then last week it happened again for the second time. So twice in one year, uh, very similar, I believe it happened on a Wednesday as well. Twice in one year, we had a once in a lifetime type event where the sports world just stopped and everything stood still. It was very odd last week. And personally, for somebody who works at a radio station that carries the Brewers and the Bucks and soon the Packers and NASCAR races, like that just made for chaos as we're trying to figure out when everything is. Trying to get everything scheduled really drew attention to the chaos that was last week as sports shut down. Now, for my sanity and for yours as well as a sports fan, I hope this week is a bit more normal. It's pretty crazy. We're not going to dwell on the NFL today much, but it's pretty crazy. NFL football begins in 10 days. Next Thursday night is the beginning of the NFL season. And without any preseason or without any pomp and circumstance, no Hall of Fame game, it's kind of sneaking up on us. 10 days away, the NFL season is going to begin And then shortly following the Packers and the Vikings a week from Sunday. So two weeks from yesterday, 13 days away. It's wild how the timeline of sports has moved in 2020. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. We're not going to dwell on the NFL much today. We're going to get into that later as the week rolls on. And then, of course, next week, because next week will be the week leading into the beginning of the NFL season. Today, I want to talk a lot about the Bucs and a lot about the Heat, because that is the round Two matchup that the Bucks begin tonight. Game one starts at 5.30 here on WKTY. So at 5 o'clock, the Wisco Sports Show will cease and we will turn the keys over to Justin Garcia uh, and Ted Davis and the rest of the Bucks radio network as round number two begins. So until then, I would like to preview and prepare and discuss the Bucks in the heat. Before we get into the Bucks. Um, and the matchup, I also want to talk about the Brewers because the trade deadline was today. Now, they didn't deal Josh Hader but they did deal David Phelps. So they didn't deal their best reliever, but they dealt one of their best relievers in an attempt to kind of give their farm system a shot in the arm. So I want to start with that today. But before we start, there's a lot of layers. Uh, I want to say just a couple of words about the Bucks' uh, social justice movement. And if you're not a politics person, then this is perfect because I'm not about to talk politics. I'm about to talk common sense. I'm, a, I'm about to talk human nature. Um, and I'm about to do what I do best, which is get mad and yell into a microphone. I'm not going to yell at you. Don't worry. I just want to say a couple words really briefly, reminding you last Wednesday that the Bucs shut down the entire NBA postseason. It's not like it's December and they took a couple random days off. This was the postseason. Postseason games were not played as scheduled last week. Doesn't matter. First round, second round, it it doesn't matter. That is a huge deal. And last week, the Bucs shut down. The rest of the NBA followed suit. Then baseball followed suit. And the Brewers, I thought in a very smart move, took Wednesday night off too. Because it would have been easy after the Bucks called off their games for Wisconsin sports fans to say, wow, that's crazy. Okay, let's watch the Brewers. But the Brewers didn't provide us with that escape. 
They didn't provide us with that distraction. We were forced to confront some of these topics last week, which I thought was smart for the sake of the cause, right? And, and the progress of this movement, at least in the state of Wisconsin, which is one I want to focus on for just a couple of minutes before we get into the Brewers. So bear with me. I know we all hate politics and sports and when they connect. I'm not a huge fan of it either. Now, what I think the NBA is doing and what they did last week is rather unprecedented and pretty entertaining and interesting. So as a story, I like to follow it. I would rather keep my politics and sports separate because I think that's a sign of a healthy society where we don't really have issues. If athletes don't need to speak up on political issues, probably means we don't have very many political issues. And wouldn't that be nice? I don't like when my sports and my politics intersect. But tonight, I hope a Bucks player eviscerates Wisconsin government. This is my dream scenario. The Bucks win game one tonight. And then during the postseason press conference, a player like Sterling Brown, maybe George Hill, heck, maybe even Giannis, during their postgame interview, takes a dump on Robin Voss, Scott Fitzgerald, and everyone involved, majority leader, minority leader, everybody involved in the Wisconsin legislature. Last week, thanks to the Bucks, in part, and others, it wasn't just the Bucks, but they got things going, in conjunction with Tony Evers, the governor, and Mandela Barnes, the lieutenant governor, the Bucks worked to force a special session today. So our legislature today was supposed to meet for the first time since April, you know, keeping in mind that this is their full-time job to meet and to govern. Um, They were supposed to meet today, and I guess they did. Tony Evers called a special session, but like they did a couple of months ago, uh, they gaveled in, and less than 30 seconds later, they gaveled out. A lot of them didn't even show up. Effectively, at least in my viewpoint, giving a middle finger to everybody in the state, the Bucks, the Brewers, and everybody who is going through this, in our state, especially in Kenosha, where it is borderline lawless right now, where buildings are being burned, things are being destroyed, people are being killed, and yet our state government, which was called upon by their sports team and their governor to meet today to address some of these issues, they didn't give us the time of day. That feels like a middle finger to me. The Bucks should take that as a middle finger. Everybody in Kenosha should take that as a middle finger. I will will make this very clear. I don't like really disclosing my politics because it's not important. I'm a conservative. I think government should be rather limited and should include many checks and balances. I think government should move very slowly. I don't think they should be cranking out new bills and laws every week. I don't think they should have their hands in every part of our life, and I don't think they should control very many parts of our life. I think government should stick to what the job of government is, and there should be lots of checks and balances. It should move slowly because I think that's what healthy government does. I don't care if you're a socialist or a libertarian. I don't care if you love police or if you hate them or you're anywhere in between. This today, I I find this so frustrating and so abhorrent. It made me mad, and I hate getting involved in politics. I hate talking about it. Show up to work. That is what we elected, and that is what we pay you to do. And more than anything, show everybody in this state that you give a damn. At least give a damn to the level that your professional sports team play. George Hill cares more about this than our state government, and George Hill's not from here. George Hill went to school in Indiana. He's played in Cleveland. He's played in Sacramento and in San Antonio. George, it shouldn't be George Hill's job to give a damn. But yet he does, at least more so than our Wisconsin legislature. Imagine if my boss, and this is what happened today. It was stated that, well, we have legislature that's in the works. We hope to get to it next year. Imagine if you were in Kenosha right now. You're a business owner in Kenosha. Or you were a protester in Kenosha. Imagine requesting help and speaking for help for the people who are supposed to govern you, and they tell you maybe next year. Imagine if my boss asked me to do something and I told her maybe next year. Imagine how that would go over. So I I just, I thought that was disgusting. I hate our state's government so much. 
it's not it's not right or left. It's not it, it has nothing to do with political affiliation. Show up and do your job. Actually, don't even show up and do your job. Just show like you give a damn. Because that was more than our state government could muster today on one of their many days off. They'll be going on what, seven seven months of no work now? Nice. Nice. Love that. Love that. Defund the police. Maybe you should defund our entire government because they don't do anything. Okay. Politics isn't my thing. Let's talk sports. To the Brewers. Today was the trade deadline, which is very odd, as we've talked about at length before, because the Brewers have only played 33 games. 33, yep. Normally, by the time of the trade deadline, which is in late July, last year it was July 31st, normally teams have played about 100 games, which over the course of a 162-game season is more than half, and plenty to feel out the competence of a particular baseball team. David Stearns, after 100 games, should have a pretty good feeling for how good or bad his team is. Maybe there's some injuries, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances, but 99% of the time, after 100 games, you know my team should buy, my team should sell, we should sit in the middle, we should wait. You know, after 100 games. After 33, I don't think anybody knows anything. I think we're all just guessing at this point. Now, the Cubs are better than the Pirates, that I know. But based on 33 games, it's really tough to definitively say that the Reds or the Brewers or the Cardinals, it's tough to differentiate between these teams. Now, the Padres were the most aggressive team in the league. They were adding bullpen help, starting pitching help, offensive, they, they were adding everything. And we're short on time today, so we don't need to dig into every move the Padres made. It's funny because it just depends on who you ask with the Padres and who you read. Because some say that they set their team up for success for years to come and they traded away no assets that are really that great. And then some people think the Padres were fleeced in every deal they did. So it's really tough to tell. It depends on who you ask. Now, if the Padres won a World Series this year, it doesn't matter if they overpaid, underpaid. It doesn't matter at all because they'll be World Series champs. But it's funny based on who you read and who you ask. Some people think the Padres didn't even give up one prospect of value and they're set up for years to come and others think that they completely decimated their future. That's hilarious to me that no one can agree. Prospects are essentially lottery tickets. You never know what they're going to turn out to be. The Padres were the aggressive team. The Brewers made one deal today, which actually is more than I thought they would do. Uh, They moved David Phelps out of their bullpen, which makes sense, right? David Phelps had signed a one-year deal. There's a club option next year. So a team isn't necessarily renting him. They could bring him back the year after if they really like him. There's some flexibility there. You're also not stuck with him any longer than you want. So if I trade for David Phelps and I want to get rid of him after this year, I can, right? It works. There's flexibility. It's only a couple million dollars. And he's been really, really good this year. The Brewers are going to get three prospects in return. Early reports say they're lower level pitching prospects, all players to be named later. We don't really know what the Brewers got. It's very similar to the Adam Lind deal a couple of years ago. I saw many Brewers writers uh, drawing connections to the Adam Lind deal where they got three very young prospects in return, none of which we knew a whole lot about, and only one worked out. It turned out to be Freddie Peralta. I think in three years, four years, if we look back and this deal gets us a Freddie Peralta-level player, it'll be worthwhile. Because I don't think the Brewers are contending for a World Series this year. So why not trade one of your better relievers who you only have under contract for a few more months anyways? I think it works out. It makes a lot of sense. Now, it's not going to swing the competitive balance of the league one way or another, right? Unless they somehow luck into a Mike Trout prospect, which I don't think they're going to do. I think the much more realistic outcome is they don't get any great players from this deal or they get a, a, a good pitcher akin to Freddie Peralta. I think that that's the possibilities. So this isn't going to dramatically shape the Brewers franchise for years to come, but it is going to give them a couple extra bodies in their farm system. Hopefully some of them pan out and they can be used as players 
or is trade chips? You know how prospects work. Hopefully the Brewers uh, get to reap the benefits of this deal in the future. This deal is very similar to many of David Stern's deals where I read what they gave up, what they got in return, and I walk away kind of thinking, sure, I guess. I guess how I felt about the Pomerantz-Ray Black deal last year, right? The Brewers traded away one of their best prospects, Mauricio Dubon, for a reliever. Well, two relievers, one of which they didn't re-sign and one of which is yet to pitch in the major leagues. I walked away from that deal kind of thinking, okay, sure, I guess we can do that. Yeah, see how it ends. David Stern's moves have often kind of ridden the fence. We talked about this last week, right? He's very rarely gone for it, right? There's there's no obvious trades where it's like, we are trying to win a World Series this year. When the Dodgers traded for Manny Machado uh, two years ago in 2018, it was very clear. Right? They, were, they were announcing to the rest of the league that they were contending. They were going for it. Other than the Mike Moustakis deal in 2018, which was still for only two prospects, only one of which was high level, Brett Phillips, I don't know if you can find a David Sturd's midseason move that really announced contention. I think he just kind of sits on the fence. We're going to build for the future and we're going to get help now. Or we're going to get help now, but also not destroy our future. It's it's very middle of the road, which is probably the best way to summarize David David Stern's tenure as, as GM. Right, He's made a couple amazing trades with Yelich, but he's also made a couple of really bad trades. And he has, has really tried to avoid swinging the future of the franchise one way or another by dealing away a huge prospect or, or, or trading for a huge name player in return. He's just kind of ridden the fence. Right, We want to be successful in the future, but we also want to contend now. And you kind of end up doing neither. You just ride the fence. That's how you best summarize David Stern's strategies, at least for midseason moves. Now, when he signed Kane and traded for Yelich, those were contention moves. But in the middle of the season, by and large, he's kind of ridden the fence. Now, they trade David Phelps today, the Brewers, but they don't trade who I and, and everyone else, we were all watching Josh Hader. They don't trade Josh Hader. And we all knew the situation with Josh Hader. We've heard it a million times over the last week. They were listening to calls, but they weren't making calls. They were listening to trade offers, but they weren't actively looking to trade Josh Hader. They were just playing the field, answering the phone. I believe strongly that the Brewers at some point between now and Hader's free agency, that they will trade him. I don't think Josh Hader plays out this contract and becomes an unrestricted free agent. I I don't think the Brewers let it get to that point. Now they have a couple of years to, to wait, right? Which is why there's no urgency. I think the Brewers will trade Josh Hader at some point between right now, August 31st, 2020, and the beginning of his unrestricted free agency. But they will only trade him when they feel as though that's the best offer they're going to get. I'm sure the Padres and, and other teams, maybe the Yankees, floated offers to the Brewers this season. And the Brewers probably looked at those offers and said, oh, this is pretty good. We'll pass. We'll wait. Because the Brewers know at some point over the next couple of years, they will probably have an even better opportunity to trade Josh Hader to an even hungrier team that's willing to give up even more prospects. They could have probably got a great deal for Josh Hader right now, but it's not good enough. And they don't need to settle for good enough right now because they have him under control for three more years. Wait until you can really max him out. And on the off chance that the Brewers are contending for a World Series in two years, then you can maximize Josh Hader by keeping him on the team and winning games. So the Brewers are all about maximizing Josh Hader right now. The best way to maximize him was not trading him for two pretty decent prospects. The only way to maximize Josh Hader right now, this year, is to trade him for the entire farm system, for all the prospects. And that opportunity just must have not come up. Now, I I couldn't help but think yesterday and, and into this afternoon, what if this was a normal season 
Full 162 games. And the Brewers weren't 15 and 18, but they were 52 and 57. Would the Yankees or the Padres, would they have been willing to give up even more in a normal season? Would they have been willing to make a hater deal work? I don't know, but it's interesting to ponder, right? Because I think there is some uncertainty about this season and its ability to finish, right? We're only an outbreak or two away from really shaking the league. And you're also sending guys to travel from club to club, which is a little bit concerning right now with coronavirus. There's there's a lot of a lot of questions around the trade deadline. And I can't help but think that if the Brewers were 52 and 57 instead of 15 and 18, that maybe this trade deadline would have been a little bit more legitimate and a little bit more interesting on the Josh Hader front. Keeping in mind, the Brewers over the next couple of years are looking to maximize Josh Hader, whether that's through winning games or trading him for the biggest possible haul. As of right now, maximizing Josh Hader is keeping him on the team. Today also got me thinking about David Stearns and his willingness to ever go for it. We talked about this last week a little bit. I wonder if there's ever a scenario where David Stearns will actually throw his cards on the table, push all the chips to the middle and say, I am all in. Let's go win a World Series or damn it, the consequences. Because as I said a couple minutes ago, the biggest in-season deal that David Stearns has ever done was for Mike Moustakis, at least by my estimation. They gave up Jorge Lopez and Brett Phillips. Two two prospects, that's it. That's the biggest in-season acquisition that David Stearns has ever made. And I can't help but wonder if that type of acquisition is ever going to be enough to get the Brewers over the hump. I, I just don't know. Today got me thinking a little bit. The way that David Stearns has handled trade deadlines and handled things in the past, I wonder if that's going to be enough heading into the future, if the Brewers ever want to win a World Series. Because I think at some point, the GM's going to have to be gutsy. And I don't know if we've seen David Stearns be gutsy quite yet. That includes this trade deadline that passed uh, an hour and 19 minutes ago. I want to transition to the NBA. The Bucks and the Heat begin their series tonight. Round two. This is the matchup we've all been dreading all year long. So let's start to get into it. We're going to preview the second round series, look at some of the players. And coming up at 545, I will give you, or 445, coming up at quarter to five, I will give you my flawless, 100% perfect strategy defensively for beating the Miami Heat. It took an hour of brain power. It actually started to smell like smoke in the studio. I will share with you my findings, my conclusions, and my game plan coming up at quarter to five. Bucks Heat all the way until five o'clock when we'll turn it over to the Bucks pregame. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. We are exactly an hour and seven minutes and four seconds away from the beginning of Bucks Heat on WKTY, the first game of the second round series. This is when it gets real. This is when it gets real for both of these teams. We'll have that game tonight. The pregame starts at five o'clock, so I will be bowing out at about 448 and running uh, my rear end home to watch this game, take notes feverishly, and prepare for tomorrow's Wisco Sports Show as we react to whatever the result of tonight's game is. The Brewers also on tonight, 6.05 pregame over on our sister station, WIZM. That's 92.3 FM and 14.10 AM. So both options, maybe watch one, listen to the other, listen to them both. If you're capable of that, that might be really challenging, but might be might be worth the try. Uh, full schedule at WKTYsports.com. For the one-seed Bucks and for the Heat as well, the playoffs really begin tonight. The first round in the Eastern Conference was something to behold. Everybody swept, except for the Bucks and the Magic. The Bucks won in five. Now, I think that's more of an indictment on the, on the uh, Sixers, excuse me, who I guess were that out of sorts and that miserably bad. They couldn't 
get one game from the Celtics, despite Joel Embiid not really having a counter. They couldn't win a single game. And then the Heat beat up on the Pacers, who effectively quit after the second or third game. And then the Nets just weren't that good. Everybody's hurt or everybody opted out. So the Bucs were the actually the only competitive series. And by competitive, I mean went more than four games. The playoffs in the East really begin tonight. A long-dreaded series with the Miami Heat in the second round. Before we actually get into the matchup, and I am going to hit you probably with my best take, with my best piece of research, strategy, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to hit you with my 100% flawless defensive game plan for the Bucs to beat the Heat coming up at 445. But before we get into that, I thought I'd point out some interesting connections that the series has. Um, Not like local, local, local connections. Like the Brewers have J.P. Fireisen, who's from River Falls. Like that's, that's next level. I can't top that. But we have some Wisconsin connections as well as some Big Ten connections. And I'm, I'm always interested when pro sports conflict with our college sports. I hate Russell Wilson. I understand he was a Badger. I can't hate him. All right, I, I can't stand him. I hate him. And people are like, how can you hate him? He was, he was a Badger. Loyalty, man. And I'm like, well, first of all, he was a Badger for a year. And that year I cheered for him very loudly when he played for the Badgers. But now he's with the Seahawks and cheating Pete. I can't, I can't stand him. I cannot stand him. And that's okay, in my opinion. Some people think that's sacrilegious. Like, if you play for the Badgers, no matter what pro sports team you play for, you got to cheer for Badgers. I... Look, I cheer for Frank Kaminsky, who I think is on the Suns. Not really all that certain. I would have to check to tell you for sure. I cheer for Sam Decker, who doesn't play domestic professional basketball anymore. He's, he's in Europe. Um, are there any other Badgers I cheer for? I'll cheer for Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. Um, Quintez Cephas will be interesting with the Lions. I'll only cheer for him as long as he's not beating up on the Packers. That's about as far as I go, right? Like, I wanted Bronson Koenig to be something awesome in the NBA. That never turned out. I I don't have a lot of loyalty once our local athletes, most notably from college, Wisconsin and maybe Marquette, I don't have a whole lot of loyalty once they graduate to the next level, literally and figuratively, I guess, in the case of graduating college. There are some interesting connections in this series. Of course, most notably Tyler Hero, who went to Whitnall High School down in Milwaukee. I I love how he's, he's playing great. He's awesome. He's tremendous. But I think Bucks fans got to calm down a little bit on Tyler Harrow. We're all like, oh, Tyler Harrow's going to kill us in this series. He's been playing so well. well. Yeah, Tyler Harrow, the most natural way and the most realistic way to evaluate him at this point is the light version of Michael Porter Jr. He is an offensive phenom who needs to do a lot of growing and a lot of maturing defensively. The thing is, Tyler Harrow is not even as good as Michael Porter Jr. And Michael Porter Jr. got played off the floor defensively. I guess he is he's continuously getting played off the floor because that series isn't over, the Nuggets and the Jazz. We need to calm down a little bit on Tyler Hero. I do love the level of success that he's reached. He's really carved out a good spot uh, basketball-wise and just brand-wise in Miami. I love watching Tyler Hero, but we got to calm down on him just a little bit. He's from Whitnall High School. We'll talk more about him as the Wisco Sports Show rolls on. Duncan Robinson from Michigan. I I love Duncan Robinson at Michigan. I think this postseason in the NBA has been a brilliant reminder of the golden age of Big Ten basketball which was like 2012 to 2015, right? The beginning of the Badgers run to the end of the Badgers run because the the rest of the teams in the Big Ten were awesome at this time. Michigan, think about it. The 2012-2013 Michigan team had Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke, who were both tremendous for the Magic and a big reason why Luka actually had the chance to win a couple of games uh, against the Clippers. They've now been eliminated. But they had Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, and Karis LeVert, who's been hooping on the nets. All three of those guys were on one team in 2012-2013. Duncan Robinson then came later, 
the Bucs will see Duncan Robinson tonight and throughout this series. There's also three Marquette players in this series. Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews, the starting two guard for the Bucs right now. I don't know what it is. I'm not a huge Marquette fan. I'm actually not a Marquette fan really at all. Um, I only sometimes say that I will cheer for Marquette just to spite the Badgers when they're upsetting me. Marquette seems to grow tough basketball players. And and this became evident, and it was brought to the attention of everyone in a press conference the other day, a Zoom press conference, when Eric Name, who's a friend of the show, he's been on the Wisco Sports Show, covers the, the Bucks for The Athletic, he asked Jimmy Butler about Wesley Matthews and himself and Jay Crowder and how they were all at Marquette and, and about their fraternity a little bit and how the three of them kind of followed in each other's footsteps, followed in the footsteps of Dwayne Wade, really, a couple of years before that. And they're all just tough, gritty basketball players. He asked Jimmy Butler about this, and I hate it because I'm actually kind of a Jimmy Butler fan. There was a great back and forth just talking about those three players and Dwayne Wade as well, the Bucks and the Heat. Just listen to this awesome exchange between Eric Name and Jimmy Butler. Hey, Jimmy. Um, between you, Jay, and Wes, Marquette is about to have three dudes that are going to play. Let's go on before you finish your question. Rank those guys from coming out of Marquette. D-Wade's out. So me, Jay, and Wes, who you got one, two, and three? From when you came out or from now? From now. I mean, I think, man, I mean, I cover the Bucks, but objectively, I think I'd have to put you at the top, then probably Wes, then probably Jay. All right. Okay, go ahead. Finish your question. Uh, <laughs> he answered the question, Jay. I didn't, I didn't say that. Go ahead. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jay, what? Let me finish my video, man. Leave me alone. Go ahead. Uh, for you guys, just what did it kind of mean to build off of each other? And why do you think it is that, you know, when a team gets a dude from Marquette, they um, like automatically know they're going to have a tough dude that's ready to go, that's playoff ready? Uh, it means a lot. But I will say that, that Wes set the tone for us in the sense that he came into the league as an underdog and, and showed what it takes to make it. Um, and he's made a hell of a career out of it at that. But you know, going into Marquette, you're going to get somebody that just play incredibly hard and definitely prides himself on a defensive end. And then they just constantly get better year after year. Um, so, you know, whatever rank that you put us three in, you, you got dogs and you got guys that want to win and that are going to compete at the highest level. So um, I'm fortunate for him setting the tone. I'm fortunate for Jay being able to uh, go to war with me every day. And I'm um, I'm going to keep thanking both of those guys for that. So then your ranking's different, I guess? Hey, man, I don't believe in rankings, but since you just ranked that day, you last. <laughs> Nothing. That's one of my fa- – I, I can't stand Jimmy Butler. He he rubs me the wrong way, but I watch this, I'm like, damn it. Now I got to like Jimmy Butler. He's just trolling his friend. So Drake, Jay Crowder is the other Marquette player that they're talking about, and he's, of course, on the Heat as well. He must be off to the side. I just love how Jimmy Butler, he seems to fit in Miami like he hasn't fit elsewhere, maybe just because he's he wears on teammates a little bit, but he seems to be doing it in kind of a like a fun way, a lighthearted way. So if you can take a good ribbing, Jimmy Butler's your guy. Uh, before we take a break, a couple of pieces of very, very small news. Well, this isn't small, but just a little tidbit to mention. Eric Bledsoe tonight is a game-time decision. Uh, with that strain, they're going to see if he can go. If he can't go, I'd imagine Dante starts. George Hill remains on the bench as the sixth man. It hurts their defense, and it, I mean, it hurts offense and defense. It stinks if Eric Bledsoe can't go tonight. Um, another name or another piece of news, we have the three names for the trade, the the players to be named later uh, from the David Phelps trade. 
Uh, we have the three names, and I can confirm I have no clue who any of these guys are. So there are three young guys, lottery ticket arms, very similar to the Adam Lynn trade a couple of years ago, like we talked about to start the show. There you go. You're caught up. You're filled in. You're current. We can move on. Buck seat preview begins, or continues rather, coming up after this break here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm just looking at the TV schedule for the Heat and the Bucks. Tonight's game is on TNT, not ESPN, which stinks because that means I'll have to find a way to stream it illegally uh, instead of just using the Watch ESPN app. That's great. That's why I'm probably just going to listen to it on WKTY. Game starts at 5.30 tonight. Pre-game will start at 5, which is why I will be heading out the door and turning things over to the Bucks Radio Network a little bit early tonight, round one of the postseason Bucks Heat Game 1 tonight, and I'm going to have to find a way to watch it illegally, which is just great. And I'm going to have to deal with Reggie Miller or Chris Weber on TNT, which both of them are just, just, at least I can listen to Van Gundy complain about something, right? If, if I'm watching on ESPN or on ABC, same thing, right? I can get Mike Breen and I can hear him. I, Mike Breen's my favorite and I don't love Mark Jackson and Van Gundy's fine, but at least they're funny. Like you can watch a, they can show a replay of a foul that is like borderline flagrant, like really physical. And I can hear Van Gundy say something like, see to me, that's just not a foul. That's just physical basketball, which I find hilarious. So small silver lining at ESPN, but we're stuck with TNT tonight. All right, whatever. Maybe we'll get Brian Anderson. Maybe we'll get lucky. All right. Speaking of the Bucks heat and the broadcast, this has been the inevitable matchup since, I don't know, before the NBA shut down, February, March. I feel like this is the matchup we've been talking about now for months. It's like, well, if the Bucks meet the heat in the second round, this could be a, a tough series. Bucks could, Bucks could struggle. They could really struggle. Because of all the Eastern Conference opponents that beat the Bucs this year, the Heat were actually the only team to beat the Bucs twice, right? And then the Bucs had that comeback win a couple of weeks ago in the bubble where they came back from like 23 down and they won by 14. It was just a, a weird, crazy bananas game. But we've been talking about this matchup for months since before the NBA shut down. And, and I feel like it's kind of Groundhog Day. We knew this was coming all along. If you want to join the conversation and talk Bucks heat uh, and chime in with your opinions... Uh, whether it's about the TV broadcasters or about Tyler Hero's fits or just about anything. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talk and text line. (laughs) Trish says, Trish texts in, this made me laugh. So what exactly do you find intolerable about Russell Wilson, Grant? Well, that's a good question, Trish. Um, I find him to be irritating. I just don't like listening to this is so personal, by the way, like none of this is rational, Trish, except for he's beaten the Packers in a couple of big games between the fail Mary game and the and the NFC championship game in 2014. I just don't like listening to him talk. I just find him very irritating. Um, We can talk about this at length on another show. If you missed, we were talking about our loyalty to Wisconsin players or Marquette players because there are three Marquette players in this series talking about our, our continued support after college or whether we kind of give it up, I use the example of just kind of, I've moved on from my Russell Wilson love. That lasted about a year, and that was it. As soon as he became the quarterback of the Seahawks, all that love went right out of the window. So if you want to talk about Russell Wilson or about the Bucks, hit me up, 608-796-2558. I thought before the series starts, let's get some of these superlatives out of the way with, because as soon as the TV broadcast, especially on TNT, starts tonight, we're going to hear all of these brought up at least once. Like we're going to hear all of these bullet points at least once. So I thought on today's show, before we even begin the games, let's just get these out of our system. We'll get them out of the way. And, and that way we can be done with them, right? We don't have to bring these up. So we'll do the Bucks ones and the Giannis ones first, and then we'll do the Heat. So if you've ever watched, what is it? Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon 
one of those late night hosts do superlatives, right? This is kind of like our Bucks Heat superlative. So I thought we'd get all this stuff out of our system before the game starts. So this is all stuff you're going to hear inevitably on the broadcast. Let's start with the uh, the Giannis uh, Bucks ones. Um, did you know uh, that Giannis actually grew up in Greece and he helped his family make a living by selling trinkets, uh, DVDs and watches? Did you know that about Giannis? A lot of people don't. We don't talk about it very often. So I just wanted to remind you if you didn't if you didn't know, Giannis actually sold trinkets on the on the streets growing up. Fun fact. Uh, another fun fact about Giannis that you will no doubt hear at some point is that actually growing up at one time he shared sneakers with his brothers, Thanasis and Kostas. He actually shared sneakers with his brothers while playing in Greece. They had that little money. They actually shared a pair of sneakers, something not a lot of people know um, and something that we will no doubt be reminded about on the broadcast tonight. This is my favorite one, a story that most, this is such a gem. Almost nobody has heard this story before and it blows my mind because it's so crazy. Um, did you know that Giannis, once he was over here in the States and he was playing for the Bucks, did you know that Giannis once ran out of money because he wired it all home to his family? He ran out of money. He actually couldn't afford a cab. So he had to run to the Bradley Center. And on his way to the Bradley Center, somebody actually recognized him and pick him up and gave him a ride. Did you know that? A lot of people have never heard that story before. So I thought I would share those couple of tidbits before we actually get into the games tonight. A lot of people don't know that stuff. Uh, as far as the heat goes, did you know that Eric Spolstra actually began his career uh, in the film room? Uh, not a lot of people know that about Eric Spolstra. It's really a rags to riches story. I don't know the numbers exactly, but I would bet that 50% of NBA head coaches began in the film room, uh, including Coach Bud. So while that is not all that inherently interesting, I'm sure we will hear about it multiple times as if it has any bearing uh, on the actual game. But a lot of people don't know that. Eric Spolstra began his career in the film room. Yeah, uh, uh, not a well-known fact at all. Uh, number two, do you know that Jimmy Butler often gets up at like 3 a.m.? Uh, because his work ethic is that superior to everyone. He's that he's that hard of a worker that he actually gets up so unreasonably early that it actually doesn't even make sense just to shoot some free throws um, and, and to get some shots up. You might be thinking, Grant, 3 a.m., that's ridiculous. That's not even helpful. No, I agree. It's just not a lot of people know that about Jimmy Butler. I don't hear it reported or mentioned very often. Uh, so I thought I'd share it before the game starts. Uh, another uh, tidbit that I'm sure you will hear brought up tonight but is uh, not common knowledge is that Tyler Hero actually was committed to play at the University of Wisconsin and then at the last minute flipped his commitment to go play at Kentucky. Now, this is very polarizing in our state, but yet not a lot of people know it, so I have no doubt that the broadcasters will remind us tonight, flipped at the last second to go play for Coach Cal, drastically changed the outlook of his career. Um, not a lot of people know. Uh, finally, did you know that the Miami Heat have a championship culture that starts from the top down with Pat Riley at the top? Now, it's not for everyone. Not everyone can handle playing in Miami, but the right players really embrace it. Championship culture. Great culture in Miami. No doubt you will hear about it during the broadcast tonight. Okay. Whew. I got those off my chest. Those will come up on the broadcast, and, it, and at the point that they do, drink. Um, and by the third quarter, you will be hammered, absolutely tanked, because we will hear at least... All of those uh, little anecdotes at least once tonight, especially Coach Spo starting in the film room. Uh, do you know that I actually started my radio career uh, board hopping Brewer games, just like every other individual that has ever started a radio career? But, I mean, that's how I got to where I am today, just like Coach Spo started in the film room, just like Coach Bud did, and I'm guessing probably two-thirds to three-quarters of NBA coaches did as well. But whatever, we'll hear about it all. Every time you do, knock a drink back. It'll be a blast. Now we can actually cover what matters. I'm very split on this series. There's, there's two halves of me. This is the duality of man thing uh, in NBA fandom. As a fan, 
the Bucks Heat matchups are always close, and they have been for the last two years. And I hate seeing the the Heat on the schedule. When I start work on a Monday and I look at the Bucks schedule and I see that the Heat and the Bucks play on a Friday, I just oh god, I dread it. Because for whatever reason, the Heat and the Bucks just I, I just hate these games. The Bucks always seem to play down to the Heat's level. The Heat always seem to play up to the Bucks level. And it's just a mess, right? It's not as easy. It's not a, a guaranteed win like it is in most matchups. Now. I, as a fan, I still reject Bam as the, quote, Giannis stopper. Defending Giannis is always a team and a scheme thing, which no one wants to recognize because we attribute it all to Bam, which it's not. Jay Crowder plays a huge role, as does the rest of that team when defending Giannis. But Bam does make Giannis look uncomfortable at times. And in the league, he is statistically, and if you just watch, Bam is the best 1v1 defender for Giannis. Now, without help, Bam cannot defend Giannis still, um, at least not most of the time. He'll get a couple of stops, but... He's probably the best 1D, 1v1 defender for Giannis. Um, and, and that makes me uncomfortable as a Bucks fan, as a fanatic. Now, I've also seen the Heat rain threes, especially from spots in the floor where the Bucks tend to surrender threes, especially above the break, meaning not in the short corner, but from the top of the key, from the, the center of the key and the, the right and left really close adjacent wings. The Heat are the league's most accurate team from those spots at just over 38.5%. That's where the Bucks surrender their threes. So that's very, very concerning. And also, this is anecdotal, and I have no statistic evidence to back this up, but as a fan, doesn't it seem like Goran Dragic always beats up on the Bucs no matter where he's been playing? He always seems to play really well against the Bucs. And, and maybe I'm just being an irrational fan, but I feel like every time that player, Goran Dragic, and the Bucs have matched up, he's played really, really well. So for all of those reasons, as a fan, I'm really concerned about this series. But as a broadcaster and a radio show host that's supposed to understand these things on a deeper level, I look at this series just a little bit differently. I think Bucks in five, maybe six. If you look at the numbers, if you look at all the evidence, it's overwhelming in favor of Milwaukee. The Heat are a tough matchup for the Bucks, but that's it. The Heat this season in the NBA are seventh in net rating, meaning offensive rating combined with defensive rating, balanced out, right? You all know what net means, um, especially in your paycheck, you know, gross versus net. The Miami Heat net rating are seventh. The Bucks were one, and it wasn't close. The Bucks were actually so good, uh, offense, defensive combined, that they were one of the best teams in NBA history. Statistics to say that the Bucks are much better. The Heat are seventh in net rating, seventh in offense, eleventh in defense, which is below the the Bucks line. Except offensively, the Heat are a little bit better than the Bucks offensively, but defensively, it's not close. Here's what I don't get. The Heat are 44 and 29. They won 44 games this year, and they played nine fewer than they normally would, so just a little bit. But the the Heat won 44 games. You know who else won 44 games? What other team won 44 games? The Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty Bucks in 2017-2018. That team was terrible and lost in the first round to a Boston team that was missing Kyrie Irving. So tell me more about how the Heat are supposed to blow the Bucks' doors off this series. They won 44 games. The same amount of games that the Jason Kidd... Th- that Bucks team was so bad that it got Jason Kidd fired. They're like, you know what? We'd actually rather take our chances with Joe Prunty. Who I'm not... Is Joe Prunty even alive, let alone coaching an NBA team right now? Putting fandom aside, feelings aside, the Bucks should win this series. If they don't, it will be because a different version of this Bucks team shows up. Not because the Heat find the keys to the kingdom... And they figure out this Bucks team. If the Heat win this series, it will be because we see a different version of the Bucks than we saw in the regular season, or even in the bubble, or in the first round. It'll be a Bucks issue, not a Heat issue. All the numbers and all the evidence would indicate that while the Heat are an interesting and intriguing matchup for the Bucks, 
the Bucs should win this series going away in five or six games at most. So keep that in mind. Coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show because the Bucks pregame is going to get started at five. I did some research today and some heavy thinking and my brain is still recovering. I have the perfect game plan to defend the Miami Heat. It is backed in statistical evidence, in anecdotal evidence, in analytics, in sabermetrics. Just pick whatever word you want. This is airtight, people. This is airtight. In fact, I'm tempted to call up Mike Budenholzer and let him know before the game that this is exactly what he should do. I will share with you my perfectly formulated game plan coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show and head into Bucks Heat. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Here on WKTY, we're going to give way to the Bucks pregame coming up in, well, exactly nine minutes. Justin Garcia, Ted Davis, and the rest of the Bucks radio network will bring you game one of the second round series between the Bucks and the Heat. That'll start at 5.30. So this is really the pregame to the pregame. Look at it that way. We'll also have Brewers on tonight, but on our sister station, WIZM 92.3 FM, 14.10 AM. The pregame will start at 6.05. So you'll get a nice dose of lacrosse talk PM with Rick Solom right into the Brewers pregame. Good continuity tonight on our stations. We're just flowing right into our sports programming. Earlier this afternoon, I'm not going to bury the lead. I will be very confident and very cocky about this because I know I'm right. Earlier this afternoon, I have developed the perfect game plan defensively for the Bucks to beat the Miami Heat. And it is very unconventional. But I think this approach will work so strongly where I actually think the Bucks might do this. Like, I think I might turn on the game tonight and they might already be doing this. Like, I think Bud's probably, hopefully, a couple steps ahead of me. And I'm just picking up this trail a couple of days after the fact. This may surprise you. It may even sound stupid or dumb. But hear me out. The way you defeat the Miami Heat is to just let Jimmy Butler beat you. Just let him beat you. Don't trap him. Don't double team him. Don't help off shooters. Don't foul him. Let Jimmy Butler be the superstar. Just let him do his thing. Don't help him at all. Just put one defender on him and don't foul. Just let him be him. Here's why. Some statistics for you to chew on. I'm going to give you all the evidence and then I'm going to synthesize it all together and give you my conclusion, my thesis, my closing argument, and then we'll get to the pregame. Here we go. Jimmy Butler shoots 24.4% from three. Now, I looked at the league. That does not put him in the top 150 players in the NBA. In fact, he doesn't even qualify because to qualify for ESPN's rankings for the best three-point shooters, percentage-wise, you need to be on pace to make one three a game, which Jimmy Butler is not. There are some names higher than Jimmy Butler at 24.5%. These are some names that are above Jimmy Butler. Laurie Markkinen, Eric Bledsoe. Shabazz Napier and Jordan Poole is the last qualifier statistically that ESPN.com will dictate, and he qualifies at 27.9%, more than 3% higher than Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler can't shoot threes. He's not good at it. It's not his thing. All right, sit with that. Number two, Jimmy Butler shoots 45.5% from the field, which is 65th in the NBA. Now, position, I grant you, has something to do with that. Centers and power forwards are going to have a higher field goal percentage than guards because they're taking statistically easier shots. I get that. But the field goal percentage of 45.5%, which puts him at 65th in the NBA, is right behind Julius Randle and right above Jordan Clarkson. Those are not exactly superstar caliber players. Both play comparable enough 
positions to Jimmy Butler. I understand Julius Randle is bigger, but it's not like he's Hassan Whiteside, and it's not like Jordan Clarkson is Steph Curry. They're rather comparable. Butler is not a good shooter from the field. He's not an efficient player. Now, the one thing that might beat you is Jimmy Butler's free throw shooting. He's fifth in the NBA, taking just over nine attempts per game. So, take all that data. Poor three-point shooting, poor percentage from the field, great free throw shooting, and high numbers in attempts. Take all that data, swallow it, digest it. What's the conclusion that you get? Let Jimmy Butler beat you or let him try. Go ahead, put Wesley Matthews on him and give him zero help. Don't foul him. Don't put him on the line. Don't help off of shooters like Jay Crowder, Duncan Robinson, or Kelly Olenek. Don't double team him. Just let him beat you or let him try to beat you rather. Statistically, he'd have to take so many shots that it's not possible. If the one source of consistent offense for the Miami Heat is Jimmy Butler, which if you defend him straight up and don't help off shooters, Duncan Robinson, by and large, can't create his own shot. Jay Crowder, by and large, can't create his own shot. If you just ignore Jimmy Butler besides his one defender and you don't help off shooters, let Jimmy Butler be. You'd have to take so many shots and be such an inefficient player that I don't even think it would be possible. Now, if you play that way, the Miami Heat might be able to scrap one game just because of a, a bad Bucks offensive performance or, or something weird happening. But over the course of a seven-game series, Jimmy Butler cannot be the only offensive factor for the Heat. It just statistically, mathematically doesn't work. And my mind is far from a statistic, mathematic mind. If I can figure it out, it means it's common sense. And this is common sense. Let Jimmy Butler beat you or let him try to beat you. Don't let him score, but like, you know, make him beat you. Frank Madden, who founded Brew Hoop, He's an old-time Bucks blogger. Now he does the Lockdown Bucks podcast. Frank Madden tweeted a couple of days ago, and it jumped out to me. I think he said it best. Jimmy Butler's playmaking is more dangerous than his scoring. Right? He's not a pure scorer. He's not a pure passer or a pure rebounder. But everything combined, he can beat you. If you let him do a little bit of everything, if you let him distribute, you let him score a little bit, Right, you let him rebound, you let him get you let him bang around in the paint and play on the perimeter. If you let him do everything, he can beat you. If you let him be a playmaker, if you restrict him to being a scorer, he can't beat you. He's not good enough. And here is the smoking gun. If I was a lawyer arguing this case, this would be my closing argument. I would stroll up to the jury's box, I'd put my hand on the railing, and I'd look the jury in the eye. And I'd say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're all NBA fans. We know how this goes. We've watched how many postseasons now? Dozens, probably. And I'd look in the jury box. I'd say, some of you are older than me. You know more than me. You are wiser than me. So therefore, this should really resonate with you. What have we been hearing for decades? Decades about the NBA postseason. That the team with the best player is more likely than not to come out on top. In fact, some would say nine, ten times out of ten, the team with the best player will win a playoff series. Correct? It's common sense. Everybody's heard it. So what the, what the Milwaukee Bucks need to do is let Jimmy Butler be the Heat's best player. Because Giannis is a whole lot better than Jimmy Butler. If the Heat have Jimmy Butler and only Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler is their best player, then the Heat don't stand a chance. Because then it becomes a Giannis Antetokounmpo versus a Jimmy Butler game. And that's a game that Jimmy Butler can't win for all the statistics and reasons that I just mentioned. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's not an efficient player from the field. He only gets to the free throw line and uses his playmaking ability to get Duncan Robinson and Jay Crowder and Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo. He gets other guys involved, and then he sprinkles in scoring as well. Let Jimmy Butler beat you. Let him try to take over a game. Make it about Jimmy Butler versus Giannis. Because if the Bucs can accomplish that and make this a Butler versus Giannis game, oh, they'll win in, in, in five, four maybe. 
I'm serious. I'm serious. Jimmy Butler cannot score like Giannis can score. He, he might not even be able, depending on the game, he might not be able to score like Chris Middleton can score if everything's working well for the Bucks. Just let Jimmy Butler do his thing. Don't help off a of Duncan Robinson or Jay Crowder. Just let Jimmy Butler do his thing and try to take over a game. And he might take over a game to the tune of 24, 25 points, but it's going to be on an absurd number of shots, a very inefficient game, and Giannis will be able to be better because Giannis is better. There you go. I rest my case. That's how the Milwaukee Bucks defend the Heat, and if they do that tonight, I think they'll win. I know the Heat scores us, or scares us, but I think the Bucks will win in, in five or six. I hope I'm right about that. More of the Wisco Sports Show back tomorrow. Enjoy game two, getting started in just about 35 minutes. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow on the Wisco Sports Show.